If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I want to encourage you to to open it up to John's Gospel, John chapter 4, as we continue uh, this series of messages uh, uh, that you may believe, the whole purpose of John writing uh, this Gospel. As you're finding that, just a word of just thank you, appreciation, thank you for all the the prayers uh, for us, and particularly for Susan and her family, as uh, had the uh, funeral service uh, yesterday for her 95-year-old mom. And, uh, and uh, so we're just thankful for a, a long life, uh, but uh, also the hope uh, that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, that uh, death and disease uh, and the grave doesn't have the final word, uh, but uh, Jesus uh, has provided uh, the way for us, and we are indeed so, so grateful uh, for that hope. As we dive into the teaching of God's Word, uh, Craig Rochelle uh, describes a person he calls a Christian atheist. Now, there's an oxymoron if ever you've heard one, right? Christian atheist just doesn't go together. He describes a Christian atheist as someone who claims to believe in Christ, but lives their life as though he doesn't exist. Now, other folks have called that practical atheism. We, uh, we, we declare a faith in God, but we live our life practically as if there is no God. Now, perhaps most of us in the room would not describe ourselves as a Christian or a practical atheist, but I think most of us would have to, to be honest enough to say, you know, there, there are times, perhaps too often, when there is a difference between our confessional faith and our functional faith. Between what we say we believe, what we sing about we believe, and how we actually function in our life, in the daily decisions that we make, and the way that we spend our time, the way we invest our resources, the things that we, how we handle situations and circumstances, there sometimes is a gap. And I think one of the things that God wants to do in all of our lives is to close that gap, if you will. See, Jesus' desire is that our faith and trust in him will grow and that it will deepen as we walk with him. Really, there should be something as we continue to grow and walk with Christ that there is something about a growing sweetness, a growing depth, a growing power, reality in our faith. So more and more, it becomes not just a confessional faith, but a functional faith. It impacts the way that we function every single day of our lives. And Jesus uh, gives us in in an encounter with a a father who is uh, in crisis, uh, a kind of a progression. We see a progression of a father's faith. And I think that progression can teach us something about how Christ wants to work in each of our lives to deepen our faith. So let's look at, together at John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse uh, 43 as we see a progression of the Father's faith. And let's make sure we kind of have the, the scene set so that we'll understand what's going on. Verse 43, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. Remember, he's been in Samaria, the whole thing we looked at last week, the encounter with the woman at the well and the whole Samaritan village and the faith that that, uh, response that they had. After two days, he departed for Galilee. He's continuing north. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. 
So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast." So what do we have here? After two days of of ministry in in Samaria, this place where good Jews wouldn't even walk through, and their great faith response, he he takes his disciples and he's moving on toward the the area of Galilee. That's kind of his home region. Uh, But there's kind of this aside note. Jesus had told them that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. No, he's not in his hometown of Nazareth at this point, but he's in his home region. You say, well, wait a minute. It seems like they welcomed him. Uh, the, the Galileans welcomed him because they'd seen what he had done at the feasts, uh, some miracles and other things that, that John doesn't specify the miracles, but specifies uh, in chapter 2 and other places that they had taken place. So what is going on here? Well, I think Jesus is kind of setting them up, kind of a contrast. Here are the Samaritans placed a faith in him. They recognized him as the Messiah where he's coming to his home region and they're just looking for a wonder worker. They're they're just looking for a Messiah on their terms. And sometimes we approach God that way, don't we? Uh, And he he understands uh, that they want, want to see the miracle worker and we'll see some of that in just a moment, but they're not going to recognize him. They're not going to accept him as God's promised a Messiah. And in the midst of that scene comes a father, a father who is hurting for his child. And at this stage, we might say this father has a crisis faith. He has a crisis faith. Look at verse 46. So he came again again, to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. Remember that scene in, in John chapter 2. At Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So catch the scene here. There's a father in crisis. Jesus is in Cana, the location of his uh, first sign that John recorded, the water into wine. And there was a man 18 miles away in Capernaum, several hours by foot, perhaps two hours by chariot. He's identified only as a royal official. Don't know all that that means other than the fact he had some connection perhaps to the household of of Herod Antipas. Some have said he was perhaps part of his extended family. It's probably more likely that he was an official serving in his court. But regardless, here was a man who had influence, wealth, privilege, who probably wielded a significant amount of authority. But I want you to notice one thing. With all that he had, he was not too proud to admit his need. Now, maybe he had come to the point where he had tried everything else and he had nowhere else to turn except for Jesus, and sometimes we're that way, aren't we? We try everything else, and if all else fails, we run to Jesus in the midst of a crisis. But regardless of how he got there, in the midst of this crisis, he comes before Jesus with this crisis faith, and he's not too proud to admit his need. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for my myself. But I do want you to notice that he did exactly what many of us do, 
will do. And that is he told Christ how to handle the situation. <laughs> you need, you, you come down and heal my son, right? You, whatever you're doing here in Cana, drop it. We need to travel to Caperto because you need to be physically present with my child to heal him. What he did is what so many times you and I can do. He presented his need before he presented himself. He presented his need before he presented himself. Do this for me. We, we come kind of almost bursting into God's presence and say, do this and do it now. But Jesus told us a different way. He said, when we approach the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before I present my laundry list of needs, and I, and I realize in the midst of a crisis, sometimes the only thing we can get out is, Lord, help me. And, and, I, and God is gracious in that. But sometimes we never get beyond that. And it is to present ourselves, to present yourselves in light of God's mercy as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable before God, so that we come presenting ourselves. We come uh, to, to seek not just his hand, but to seek his face. And Jesus' initial reply in verse 48 seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Seems harsh. He, he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But I want you to, to notice something that's not readily noticeable in the English because we don't uh, have good words that do this. But the, the you here is not singular, it's plural in the Greek. So that as Jesus is speaking, he's not just speaking to a man, but he's speaking to this gathered crowd. Remember this, this crowd where he said he will not be honored because they're there to see another show. They're there to see another wonder. He says, he, he kind of confronts them. Don't just seek a miracle worker. Seek me. But here, here's where God is so gracious Notice what Jesus does. Jesus will meet us here. He'll meet us at Christ's faith, but he does not want to leave us here. <laughs> yes, in the midst of a crisis, cry out to God. Just pour out your heart. Tell him what you want that you desire. Absolutely. And God in grace and mercy and his loving kindness and his patience, he will meet us there. But he does not want to leave us there. He wants to deepen our faith. And that's exactly what he continues to do with this father. The father comes to him with a crisis faith, but he begins to grow in him a confident faith. A confident faith. We'll continue with John's narrative. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, perhaps verse 50 may be the, the key verse in this narrative. Jesus spoke and the man believed. Jesus spoke, the man believed. In our culture, we tend to say things like, seeing is believing, right? 
I'll believe it when I see it. Of course, now with video technology, what it is, we can't even believe what we see anymore, right? Because uh, you can kind of you kind of edit and, and cut and splice, and put things in, and all this. In our culture, well, it's hard to even say seeing is believing now. But what Jesus was calling this father to do, what he's calling you and I to do, is to understand that believing comes before seeing. The believing comes before see. He spoke this word, go on your way. Your son has been healed. He couldn't see it because he was 18 miles away. 18 miles doesn't seem that far to us when we can hop in a car and go 70, or some of you much more than 70, up and down the interstate, right? But... We're agonizing gap of time there. Believing comes before seeing. And it's only as an individual acts on the commands of God, when he does that, that, that it opens up the way for God's power to operate in their life. That, that it, it is this, this step of faith, this step of obedience, this, this trust, I act. So what did he do? He heard the word and then he turned, right? He turned away and went on his way. And then just say I believe in Jesus. I, he acted on that belief. Now please understand, it wasn't the man's faith that healed his son. It was Jesus' power that saved the son. But his faith connected him to that power. How much faith do you have to have? Just enough to do what Jesus said. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up because we have to have this great faith. Start with the faith that you have. Take Jesus at his word, act in belief, and watch him grow you and deepen your faith. It's not faith in faith, it's trust in Jesus. It's kind of like if you walk into a darkened room and you flip on the light switch and the light suddenly appears. The power was not in the light switch, right? <laughs> the power was in the electricity. The light switch merely connected you to the power. The light switch, you could say, was the instrumental cause of light flooding in the dark room. Uh, but the efficient cause, the power cause, is the electricity. My faith and your faith doesn't have any power in itself. It's not faith in faith, because you can have the strongest faith in the wrong object and have no power, right? But start with the faith that you have. Act in obedience to his word. You don't, don't, some of us walk around crushed because we heard somebody on TV say, you, you gotta have more faith. If you just had enough faith, this would happen or that would happen. And if this isn't happening in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's not faith in faith. It's trust in Jesus. All you have to do is cling to him. And this is this, what you see, this progression of the father, this royal official who's used to being in charge, used to having influence. He's not too controlling to walk by faith. He trusted Jesus enough to allow him to work in whatever way he chooses. Now, that's huge. Because we thought, so we start off saying, Jesus, do this, do it this way, do it now. 
Jesus says, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to allow me to answer my way and in my time? He was not too controlling to say, Jesus, I'll do it your way. Hebrews 11, that great chapter, kind of a a hall of, of faith, some have called it, starts off with a descriptor of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, or some of your translations will say, the evidence of things not seen. The world says seeing is uh, believing, but we know that believing helps us to see that which is not yet reality yet. So God is moving him, Christ is moving him from a crisis faith to a confident faith that he acts in obedience and trust to what Jesus said. And then he gives to him a confirmed faith, a confirmed faith. Verse 51, as he was going down, the man is now heading from Cana to the hometown of Capernaum. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus has said to him, your son will live. And he himself Believed. Paul's right there. <laughs> Obeying always precedes the experience of the blessing. It is as he took Jesus at his word, he, he moved in obedience, he, he, he did what Jesus told him to do. It is that that opened up the pathway for, in this case, a healing, for the blessing that God wants to pour into our lives. You see, Jesus had a, a bigger agenda. He had a bigger agenda than just that crisis moment that brought that father into his presence. Jesus didn't want to just heal a boy physically because no matter how many physical healings you get, eventually in this sin-broken world, you will experience physical death. He didn't want to just heal a boy physically, but to heal a whole family spiritually. Be a whole family. So that, that he said, well, wait a minute. It, it says there that he, he himself believed, but he obviously had some level of belief and faith because he took Jesus, he went to Jesus in the first place. He took Jesus at his word and walked away, but he came to a more fuller understanding of who Jesus was. He believed not that he was just a miracle worker, but that he was indeed who he claimed to be because only God could heal at a distance like that. Only God could speak a word and a healing take place 18 miles away. It was the power of God. As I was working on this message, I was just reminded of of the teachings of Henry Blackaby. And some of you know that name. Some of you perhaps have read the book or went through the course experiencing God. For some of you, uh, that may be brand new. Uh, But Henry taught for years and years and years, decades in in fact, about seven realities of experiencing God. And I just want to quickly review those with you because I think it fits perfectly into this episode out of the life of Jesus. His first reality was God is 
always at work around you. God's always at work. You may not always see it. You may not always sense it. You may not always be aware of it, but God is always at work around you. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me. It encourages me to know that God is at work. Uh, When I watch the news and want to get depressed, I'm encouraged to know that God is at work all around you. And part of his work is he is pursuing you and I. He pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Part of what God is doing in the world, he is calling people back to himself. He's calling us into a love relationship that is very real and it is very personal. And it's not just something that is a confessional, uh, but it is a functional reality in our lives. And out of that relationship, God invites us to become involved with him in his work. He's at work all around us and he says, I I want you to be part of the family business. I want you to join me in my ongoing work. And in order for us to join him, we kind of need to know what he's doing and how he wants us to be a part of it. And so God in his grace and mercy, he speaks. He speaks by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He speaks by the Holy Spirit. He uses the Bible, prayer, circumstances, the church, the, the body of Christ to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And out of that, then comes, and I think this is what speaks very powerfully to where this father was, when God speaks, his invitation to join him in his work always leads you to a crisis of belief. You might want to underline that if you have a note-taking guide. Crisis of belief that requires faith and action. That's exactly where this father was. Jesus said, go, your son is made well. And at that moment, he had a crisis of belief. Am I going to take Jesus at his word or not? Do I believe that he can do this or not? And he responds with faith and action. He walks away, trusting the word of Jesus. Henry says that for you and I, to join God in his work, we'll have to make major adjustments in our life. For some of you, that may be a geographic adjustment. For some of you, it may be a career adjustment. For some of us, it may be an adjustment in the way that we're thinking or the things we're prioritizing. For some of us, it may be a major adjustment in our calendar or a major adjustment in our finances or whatever it may be. Uh, But we cannot, Henry said year after year, we cannot stay where we are and go with God at the same time. When God invites you to join him in his work, it is probably going to require some adjustments, and some of them may be major. Now, now they, they may not all be external that everybody else could see, but there may be some major adjustments in your heart, in your mind, in your thinking. But here's the thing. As you make those adjustments, as you respond in that crisis of belief with faith and action, you come to know God. To know God by experience. By experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through 
you. That your faith, that, that even, even if it was confident, becomes a confirmed faith because you experience the activity of God, the, the person of God, the presence of God in and through your life. God is not now just some intellectual concept, but it is a person that you know, you know personally by experience. But I want you to see one other part of this deepening faith. It was a crisis faith that moved to a confident faith that became a confirmed faith, uh, but it is also a contagious faith. A contagious faith. Verse 53, it says, he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he come from Judea to Galilee. Understand what's taking place. The, the servants back in Capernaum, they have, have seen the fever break. And so they're running to, to find uh, the, the head of the household, this royal official, to tell him what's happened. The servants are excited over the healing. But the father, the royal official, he knows the rest of the story. He asks the question about the time and he connects the dots. But he not only connects the dots for himself, but he connects the dots for others. And it's not only he came to believe, but all his household because the father's faith spread to others. And that's what happens. When God works in our lives, when God deepens our faith, it's not just for us, but it's for the lives of those that he also wants to touch through us. And so that a growing faith, a deepening faith, must be a contagious faith. When, when you begin to experience God, you begin to share it with other people, that it is a contagious faith. So let me try to pull some of these things together with some closing observations. Here's the first one. Sin always, always, always blocks our relationship with God. But suffering, suffering can deepen it. And when I had finished this outline and kind of done it, sat on it overnight, went back, looked at it, tweeted, fired it off for proofing and next steps and all that. An hour after I hit the send button, I got a call from the doctor and said the melanoma wasn't just in the leg, but there was a spot in the lymph node. As I was reviewing these notes this week, in prep for this weekend, we got the call that Susan's mom had passed away. And it's kind of processing all that, and it, it, part of my fir first response was to say, Lord, if I'm gonna have to start living out all these messages personally, I'm gonna start preaching the prosperity gospel, right? <laughs> Just everybody healthy and wealthy, right? But I came across this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She said, out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. Let me say that again. Out of the deepest waters and the hottest 
fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. Can I tell you, just from one guy's experience, that's true. That's true. Sometimes we think God's grace and God's mercy and God's loving kindness always comes to us in gentle packages. Sometimes the loving kindness of God comes delivered in some hard packages. It's out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires that God often hones and shapes our deepest faith. Sin blocks our relationship with God. Oh, but hear me. Suffering, however that may come into our lives in this old world, can, if you will allow it, if you will respond correctly, sin blocks, but suffering can deepen our relationship with God. It is in that suffering that the father was driven to Jesus and Jesus met him there, but he did not leave him there. Second observation is that when you face a problem, when you face suffering in your life, do what this man did. Go to Jesus. He he didn't do it perfectly. He didn't have all of it figured out, uh, but he knew enough to go to Jesus. Don't wait till you have all the answers. Don't wait till you have all of your theology straightened out. Uh, Don't wait till you have it all figured out. Just wherever you are, go to Jesus. Come into to his presence, open up his word, pour out your heart in prayer, surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage you and pray for you. Go to Jesus, but as you go to Jesus, learn what this father learned, and that is to let Jesus answer you on his own terms. Do not dictate terms to the sovereign. (laughs) It never works. (laughs) I've said now for years, if I knew what God knows, I would want what God wants. So that I come and I'll pour out my heart and I'll I'll cry out, God, this, this, from my limited understanding, this is what I want, this is what I'd like to see. But not my will, but your will be done. Because I trust you and I trust your wisdom and I trust your love and I trust your power. I trust your timing far, far, far more than I trust my own. And so I come to Jesus. But I'm going to leave it with him to let him answer on his own terms. And one of the things that happens in the deepening faith is that we come to love Jesus for who he is in himself not merely for the benefits that he gives. If I only come to Jesus, if I only run to him in a crisis for the the benefits he gives, I'm trying to use him and I don't know him. But the more I come to know him, the more I find, find pleasure, the more I find significance and meaning and fulfillment, not in what I might receive from his hand, but just to see his face, just to seek him because he is worthy to be salt. A deepening faith comes to love Jesus for who he is 
not just for what he can give. And the last observation is deepening faith is contagious. <laughs> As God works in you, share and show, show and share. You know, we used to talk about show and tell, right? Show and tell, show and share the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, centuries ago, said that faith has three parts. Notia, a census, and fiducia. Notia means knowledge. There are certain things that I have to know. I have to, to hear the, the good news of Christ. I have to, to, to encounter the truth of God's word. There are things that I need to be able to grasp and know. But a sense is I have to assent. I have to agree. I have to believe that these facts are true. That's the, the rational part of faith. But there's also fiducia. Fiducia is to entrust, that I entrust my life to him. I don't just have a confessional faith, but I have a functional faith. I, I live in such a way that my life depends on what I believe being true. That is fiducia. I entrust my life to him. And give you perhaps a, a word picture of this. Uh, perhaps you've seen uh, tightrope walkers. The, the Walendas are, are one of the names that have been around uh, in uh, several decades in our culture. In fact, is uh, one of them's even had some, some TV specials uh, in, in recent uh, years. Uh, but long before the, the Walendas, perhaps the most famous tightrope walker of all was a man by the name, or at least went by the name of Charles Blondin. He came to the United States from overseas, and he was fascinated, actually obsessed uh, with Niagara Falls. And he wanted to, to cross Niagara Falls on a rope, and he, they strung this hemp cord uh, uh, 1,100 feet across the gorge, 160 feet uh, above the, the, the falls, and he was going to cross from one side to the other, and thousands upon thousands of people gathered, and, and he was quite the showman. He, he knew how to, how to do it, right? He, he would walk back and forth, and, and uh, uh, people were taking pictures, and he would take a camera out there, and he would take pictures of people taking pictures of him and he would carry a chair out on the rope and he would he would balance the chair on the rope and then he would get on and sometimes even stand on the chair one time he even took an uh, took and cooked an omelet out on the on the rope there yeah he was quite the showman he would take a wheelbarrow back and forth across the rope uh, and then one time as he was kind of uh, working the crowd of thousands that had gathered there, he said, he said who believes that I could, I could carry a man across this rope? And everybody said, yeah, we believe it. He said, all right, who will go? <laughs> the crowd was silent. <laughs> Except for one man. One man by the name of Harry Colcourt. He said, I'll go. And you can actually go online. You can find this drawings, pictures of, of Colcourt piggyback on Blondin's back going across the rope. 
Now what the thousands of folks in that crowd didn't know is that Harry Colcord and Charles London worked together. In fact, that Harry was his manager. He had seen him do this hundreds of times. <laughs> the crowd had a confessional faith. We believe you can do it. But Harry had fiducia. He had a functional faith. He entrusted his life to the one that he knew. And that's what Jesus Christ wants to do in each of our lives. He, he wants to, to deepen our faith. He wants us to trust him enough to allow him to take us on a journey, to take us on a walk we'll never perhaps forget and we'll certainly never regret. He wants us to entrust him, not just with the confession of our lips, but with every facet of our lives. And as you do, he'll deepen your faith and you will come to know him, not just by head knowledge, not just by reputation, but in personal experience. May God deepen our faith and our walk with him. Let's pray together, please. Oh, Father, how we do thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you, Father, that in your grace, you meet us right where we are, but you don't leave us there. You take us on a journey. You, you do things to, to deepen our, our faith, our walk, our understanding of you. And Father, we, we just invite you today. Uh, we're, we're perhaps in all different places, even in this room right now. Father, would you meet us where we are? Would you take us to where you want us to be. Father, would you help us not just to say things with our lips, but to live things with our life because we know you, we love you, we trust you. We pray this now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.